Here at Revolution Church, we like to go through books of the Bible at a time, and currently we are in the book of Genesis, but not for long. We're in chapter 49 today. Next week we'll be 50, and then after that we'll start a new book of the Bible. And so I'm excited to let you know that we'll be starting the, the Gospel of Luke in just a couple, two weeks from today, and we'll be going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. So our, our scripture this morning is Alon. Where's Alon? She should have stayed up here. Come on back up here, girl. All right. And she's going to read chapter 49 for us. Let me give you a little backstory for what she's about to read. So we're again at the end of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The, the, the three patriarchs. And Jacob is about, is about to die in this chapter. Just spoiler alert, he's going to die at the end of this chapter. And uh, he calls all of his sons together. And of course, the big factor involved in this is that Joseph, the son that he didn't have for most of his life, has been reunited with them. And of course, what is Joseph doing now? He's second in command over all of Egypt. And so he's part of this family reunion that's going to take place today. So Alon, um, you can stand over here towards the middle so you can see the screen good. All right, follow along as Alon reads God's word for us. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel, O oh my glory. Be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their will willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. For the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's coat to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's coat to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, Blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. 
Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this chapter. It, it's long and there's lots of material here, but there's something you want us to know about it. There's something that you want to speak to us this morning from. And I'm Father, I'm so thankful for a church that loves the Bible, that is open to it, that just doesn't read it on Sundays, but studies it and meditates on it throughout the week. Lord, we have covenanted together as a church to live by your book. Help us to have the strength to do that. Father, in the flesh, we can't. We would fail and fail miserably. But Lord, we're thankful for your Holy Spirit that not only helps us to understand Scripture, but gives us the ability and the power to live Scripture. May we be that kind of church, Lord. We're thankful for uh, all that you're doing here. May Jesus be exalted. And we ask all this in his name and all God's people said, amen. So this chapter is about a family reunion. I don't know what your family's like, but growing up as a kid, my family reunions were weird. <laughs> Just weird, okay? And we had a variety of different types of people. But one thing they had, most of my relatives had in common was drinking. Beer was a big deal at family reunions. And so usually these family reunions would start off kind of fun. We'd play some softball. We'd play some volleyball. We'd talk and we'd catch up. But as the day went on and people got thirstier and drank more and more Budweiser, Budweiser or whatever they drank, people got weirder and weirder. The arguments started to happen. The aunt who was upset at this nephew started yelling and screaming. And by the end of the day, everybody went their separate ways mad until we did it again the next year. <laughs> and it was, it was just really weird. And this is a family reunion that doesn't start off good. It starts off, starts off bad and then gets better. And so in this family reunion, he calls all of his sons together. And so don't just imagine 12 sons gathered around a sick man's bed. This is a formal occasion. He let them know in advance this was going to happen. Most likely, they probably got dressed up for it. The wives, the kids, the grandkids, they gathered around it wasn't a small area. It was probably a big, wide, open tent. They probably carried his bed out. And it was a formal cer ceremony of a man who knows he's about to die. And, and jo Jacob had not lived the best life, right? He had his ups and he had his downs. But he was God's chosen man. He was the patriarch that God wanted to bring the Messiah through. And so we're going to divide this chapter into a few sections here. First of all, we're going to see the curses on the oldest, the curses on the oldest brothers. And then we're going to see the blessings on seven of the brothers. And then we're going to see blessings on the favorite two. Who's, who are the favorite two? Benjamin and Joseph. Good job there. You adults need to keep up here, okay? <laughs> and then number four, Jacob's burial plans and his death. And so let's jump right in. So then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves. He said, you know, we're going to have a big... Family reunion here. I need everybody to gather to be here. This is important. And I'm going to tell you, and the word tell there, as you'll see from the chapter, is I'm going to prophesy to you what shall happen. He's going to exercise the gift of prophecy and tell them really specifically what each son's life is going to be like, but not only what the rest of their life is going to be like, but what generations from their tribe will be like. And it's amazing that we have a Bible that predicts the future. And, and that tells us that what we're believing is true. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. And he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the days to come. And by days, he doesn't mean literal, just 24-hour days. He means that, in, like when we say the phrase, back in my day, and for generations to come. By the way, this is the first prophecy in the Bible spoken by a man. 
the previous prophecies, remember, we can go all the way back to the very first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, where God is pronouncing curses on Adam and Eve and on Satan and on the planet Earth because of their rebellion, because of their sin. And he says that a Messiah is going to come, and he said the seed of the woman, is how he described it, will crush the head of the serpent. And of course, seed of the woman, that's backwards. We always talk about the seed of a man. But here, this is going to be a birth without the involvement of a biological man. And that's referring to who? Jesus, the, the virgin birth. And you think, well, why did Jesus have to be born a virgin? I mean, that, I think that's a cool miracle, but why did that have to happen? It's because sin is passed on by Adam. That's what Romans tells us. Paul said, by one man, sin passed upon all men. And so therefore, all have sinned. And just like you get your X and Y chromosome, your gender, your sex, your biological sex is determined by your dad, so is your sin nature. So when you sin, don't blame your mom, blame your dad. Now your mom's a sinner because she had a dad. So everybody who has a biological dad sins, right? But guess who didn't have a biological dad? Jesus. So he, Jesus could be 100% man, 100% sinless, and 100% God. And so that's the why the necessity of the, the virgin birth. And that's the first prophecy in the Bible. But who spoke that prophecy? God did. Now, there's other prophecies, but they're all spoken by God. But here, this is the first prophecy spoken by a man, and that man's name is Jacob. So he says, Assemble your sons, O sons of Jacob, listen Israel, to Israel your father. Now, remember, his birth name was Jacob, but then after God wrestled with him, remember the angel of the Lord Jesus in, in, became a, what we call Christophany. He wrestled with Jacob, and he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but I'm going to call you Israel. But then in subsequent chapters, when he started acting like the old man, he'd say, oh, Jacob, Jacob, you're acting like your old self. But when he was following the leadership of the Lord and listening to the Holy Spirit, he called him Israel. And now here's Jacob calling himself by both names. He recognizes that, hey, I have my ups, I have my downs, and what I'm about to tell you here, you know, disregard my life ups and downs, but listen to your father here in this situation. Um, he starts off with Reuben, who is the firstborn. He says, and, and Reuben's thinking, man, this is going to be great. This is kind of like the reading of the last will and testament. What am I going to inherit? And it starts off good. You know, you're my firstborn. I'm so proud of you. You know, you're my might. You're the first fruits of my strength. You're preeminent in dignity, dig, dignity preeminent in power. Okay. And so you've got all this potential, Reuben. But then he realizes he's messed up and he begins to pronounce curses on him. He says, you are as unstable as water. <laughs> How about that for a compliment? You know, when you spill a glass of water, you have no control over where it goes. It's going to go all over the place. It's going to cause a mess. You, fill, you spill a box of blocks. Well, you know where they're at. You can stack them back up. You're fine. But water, it just leaves a mess. It's unstable. It goes in all different directions. Reuben, that's you. You're, you're an unstable dude. You, you cannot be counted on. And my question for you this morning is, are there areas of your life, like there is in mine, where you're unstable? You may be unstable in this area, but I'm better at that. But I'm unstable in this area, and you're better at this one. We're all, we all have our different flaws. Which one would describe you? Is your instability emotionally? Are you unstable emotionally? You know, it's scary to be around people who are unstable emotionally. And I'm not talking about mental illness. I'm just talking about people who don't control their emotions. Like you never know if you're going to say something, they're just going to go off on you, you know? Or when they walk in, are they going to be in a good mood or a bad mood, you know? And you're kind of just feeling the room here. And you're kind of walking on eggshells till you find out where they're at, you know, because you never know when they're going to go off or are they walking in and are they pouting? Are they sad? Are they depressed? Are they trying to draw attention to everybody, you know, by not smiling and just kind of sulking? Are you that way? Am I that way? It's really important that we control our emotions. One of the fruit of the spirit is, is fruit of the spirit is temperance, self-control. Philippians 4 says, let your moderation, the fact that you moderate, you control your emotions, be known to all men. And then he says, for the Lord is at hand. Because the Lord's watching. We need to control our personality. Even if on the inside we're feeling one way, we need to control our Now, I'm not talking about being two-faced. I'm talking about self-control in every situation. Are you unstable financially? You know, there's a lot of people who would like to do a whole lot more for the Lord, but they can't because they've got themselves in a financial bind. They've got themselves in a bind where they have to work longer. 
be away from their family more. They, they can't give because they're financially unstable. They can't do things for their children because they're financially unstable. They can't do whatever, all kinds of things that limited you because you're financially unstable. Are you spiritually unstable? Do you really know your word? You see, this one right here affects the other two and all the other categories I could have listed. Being spiritually stable and, and not being, well, one week you're reading your Bible every day, and next week you're like, ah, I don't even know if there's a God. Just kind of up and down and up and down. Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel. Here in this situation, Reuben was one of those people. He could go off at any minute. He wasn't to be counted upon. He says, you're the firstborn. And normally in our culture, the firstborn would get a double inheritance compared to everybody else, but not you. You're not going to have the preeminence. I'm not going to treat you like you're a firstborn. David Guzik, one of my favorite new theologians, says, The tribe of Reuben never excelled. No prophet ever came from the tribe of Reuben. No judge, no king that we know of came from the tribe of Reuben. Reuben is an example of how the first can be last. All this potential... Everything could have been handed to him, and yet he blew it all because he could not control himself. He was unstable as water. He was the firstborn, but he gave up his birthright by his evil actions. The birthright then moved to Joseph, who was Jacob's favorite, who received a double portion as the oldest son and Jacob's wife, Rachel. He says, "Because here's why. Because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. And then you can almost hear Jacob yelling, can you believe he had the nerve to go up to my couch? You know, he, to do something that should have only done by me and my wife. And he went and he slept with one of his dad's wives. Now, this sounds really gross and icky, and it is. Even if you're from Arkansas, you probably really don't like this verse right here. Okay? But this was something that was done in that culture by the pagans. You see, Jacob was traveling. He was away. He was fleecing the flock. And he's like, this is my chance to show my old dad that I'm the alpha male. And that's what would happen in some of these tribal places. And this still happens in parts of third world countries today. And again, it's not a good thing. But he, this is what happens when you act like the world and not like, act like the culture. And so Bilhah was the, one of the wives that Jacob had that he slept with. And th think about this. Dan and Naphtali, that's their mom. And they're right there as this is happening. And Jacob brings up this drama. And he's talking about his mo their mom right in front of them all. And so... I'm sure this was an extremely awkward situation. Can I tell you this is one of the sexual sins can be the most devastating. You can really ruin your life. And that's why this sexual revolution that's happening in our country right now, we have no idea about the devastation that is to come for generations. It's going to be hurting. Hurting children, will, suffering children, they'll be the biggest victims of all this chaos. We are having people transition and do all kinds of damage to their body as young teenagers that they will never recover from. We're talking about people making decisions at 13, 14, 15 just because of cultural pressure, and now they will never have kids ever. Think about that. A very temporary solution to a, and causing a permanent problem that's just devastating. People committing all kinds of sexual sins that are ruining their lives between STDs, abortions, and everything else, and divorce, and all that stuff, we are not following God's blueprint at all as a country. And we're going to pay the consequence for it as, as a country as well. It can be devastating. If right now you are flirting with a dangerous situation, let me beg you, repent. Repent. Just walk away from it. Whether it's pornography, an illicit relationship, or some type of alternate lifestyle, just ask God to give you a hard repentance so you can walk away before more damage is done. 1 Corinthians 6.18, don't take my opinion for, from it, take God's word here. He says, what should we do with sexual morality? Run, run. You don't say, well, if I was a strong Christian, I can handle it and just hang in there. No, you run from it. Remember uh, Jacob's son, Joseph, what he did when Potiphar's wife tempted him? He literally just said, hey, you can have my jacket, I'm out of here. And he ran out of the building. And here it explains why. Follow this closely, God's people. Every other sin that a person commits is outside their body. You lie, it's out there. You steal, it's out there. But sexual immorality, a person sins against his own body. You will, you will experience physical, emotional, and psychological consequences for your sin in that category. It, is a, it can be devastating. And then he moves on. He says, Simeon and Levi, number two and three. He said, they're brothers. And that, 
duh, dad, of course we know they're brothers. That's why we're all standing in this room. No, he's saying you're, you're, you're like almost like twins. You're alike in your sin. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my prophecy as if you were one person because your thing is identical. Your weapons of violence are their swords. And why is he saying that? Remember their sister, Dinah, got sexually assaulted by the prince of Shechem? And so they, they went over to him and said, hey, man, what'd you do to our, daughter, our, our sister here? And they, they argued about it and they threatened. And they said, you know, you know, my son here, the prince, really loves your daughter and, and he wants to marry her. And they plotted revenge. They, they lied to him and said, okay, we'll let you marry her, which was a lie, if you guys will all get circumcised because our religion doesn't allow us to give our wives, our, daughter, our daughters, to pagan men like you guys. If you all get circumcised, then we'll give not only her, we'll give all of our daughters to you, and you guys can intermarry. We'll take your daughters and intermarry, which would be a way of making peace between the two tribes there. And so after they were circumcised and all the men were recovering in pain, Simeon and Levi went, through, Levi went with swords and just ran all these men through and killed thousands of them. They overreacted. Should they have gotten, should, they, should there have been justice for Dinah? Yes. But they overreacted. The Bible says vengeance is the Lord. But they took out their revenge and they overreacted and they committed a worse sin than what the, the men had done to their sister. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, Therefore, an overseer, another word for this could be a pastor, an elder, a bishop. It's all the same word in Greek. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent. Godly men, especially leaders in the church, are not to be violent. And Simeon and Levi were extremely violent men. <clears throat> and that, so this, this is a New Testament principle as well. He said, let my soul come up not into their counsel. In other words, the way that they plot to get revenge. I pray that my, the rest of my people would not be a part of that. Oh, my glory, my glory, which is Israel. Let all my other children, don't be joined in their company. For in their anger, they kill men. And in their willfulness, willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Just out of spite, on their way out after killing these men, they go buy all the oxen and just cut their back of their hamstrings, crippling these animals. Not even putting them out of their misery, but now they're not able to feed themselves, they're not allowed to get water, and they suffered a miserable death. They took out their cruelty on animals. And so there's a balance here. I, you know, if you really want to get people's attention in America, Show them pictures of suffering puppies. And then they will, they'll get their credit cards out and they'll call and they'll make a donation really quick, you know. And, and we should not be cruel to animals, for sure. The Bible says that if you kill an animal and don't eat it, that's wrong, okay, in Proverbs. And so there's a balance there. We're not committing genocide against animals by having, you know, chicken fried steak and all those things like that. Those are great and wonderful. But at the same time, we don't just kill animals for no reason. We don't torture them. And so these guys, they were so spiteful, so violent, that they even took out their anger on the animals as well. He said, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. In other words, you guys, your inheritance, as far as land, forget about it. You guys just go live with all your brothers and mingle with them. Now you'll see later this turns into a blessing, not a curse. But think about their anger. Think about your anger, my anger. How many of us, maybe we didn't go around with swords killing circumcised men, but we've said things that hurt, right? Jesus said, you know, you, you've heard it said you should not murder, but I say to you, if you're angry with someone without a cause, it's like spiritual murder. We can say things that cause irreparable damage to someone's heart and someone's mind. Things that telling kids that they're stupid or you're useless things like that, that we say in anger. You know, you can apologize all day long, but those words will echo in their ears for decades in many cases. Watch your anger. Be careful. Let's analyze the sins of Judah, Simeon, and Levi. Look, look at them carefully here. In 1 John chapter 2, John tells us that all sin falls under one of three umbrellas. There's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything that's in the world, all that's in the world, falls under one of those three umbrellas. Think about Eve in the garden. Lust of the eyes. She saw that the fruit was, was good. She saw that it was good to eat and it was able to make one wise. All three categories of sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Think about David's sin. He saw Bathsheba. He, Bathsheba, he wanted her. 
He thought, well, I'm king. I can do whatever I want. All three categories of sin right there. How many temptations did Jesus face? Three, the lust of the flesh, turn these stones into bread, the pride of life, throw yourself down from the pinnacle temple, and the, the lust of the eyes. All, look at the, all the kingdoms of the world. I'll make them yours. And so all three, that's why the Bible says Jesus was tempted like in all points, like we were. Some people say, well, look at that and say, well, Jesus couldn't have been tempted at all points. He, he didn't face internet pornography. He didn't face crack cocaine. He didn't. No, no. The all points is the three categories of sin. And so whatever your generation, the, the exact particular type of sin may change, but the categories of sin do not. Judah, Simeon, Levi, right there. Lust of the flesh, sleeping with the father's wife, Simeon, Levi. Anger, pride, we're going to defend our sister's honor. All these things fall into the same categories. Their land would be divided. This did occur later. Simeon was given only a few little cities of Israel, not a territory. And the Levites became the priestly tribe that received no land inheritance at all. But this prophecy of dividing and scattering became a blessing for Levi because they became the servants to the whole nation. Because of their faithfulness, this tribe, during the rebellion of the, with the golden calf in Exodus 32, they were scattered as a blessing throughout the whole land of Israel. So look at this. Their failure, God turned it into a blessing. But not a blessing for them, a blessing for everybody else. God can and will take your brokenness and use it to bless others. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've come from. God can take you and use it. Don't listen to the lie of Satan and say, no, no, you've been divorced. You can't serve God. Or you've been in jail. You can't serve God. Or whatever. You fill in the blank. God gives second, third, fourth, and 2,054 chances. Amen? And so God wants to do that. And he turns this, even for Levi and Simeon, he turns it into a blessing. In fact, Simeon was, still people named their kids Simeon. Simeon was a was in the New Testament here, he says Simeon uh, was the one who wanted to see the Messiah before he died. And he said, bless them, married his mother. Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel. And a sword, look at this, will pierce through even your own soul also. God says, hey, Simeon, I'm going to let you see the Messiah. And he's going to cut you through the heart, just like the guy you were named after cut people through the heart. But this is going to be a good sword. This is going to be something that cuts to your heart that will, at the revealing of the Messiah. So let's go to the, the next point here, the blessing on the seven. So he gets the first three out of the way, all, all of it's bad, okay? Eventually it turned into good later, but all bad. But then the next seven, it's mostly a blessing, and these prophecies are mostly, but it's kind of a mixed bag. He says, Judah, Judah's the number four. Your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Anybody tries to attack you, man, you're going to take them down and make them wish they never messed with you. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Now, we're talking about Judah. This is Judah that when they threw Joseph in the pit, he's saying, hey, I know what we should do. Let's sell him. Let's sell him into slavery. Judah got off to a really bad start. And then Judah married a Canaanite woman. Not a good situation there. And then he, Judah had a, a daughter named Terah, a daughter-in-law, sorry, that, named Terah. And when her husband died, she came to him and said, hey, you know, I need another. And they had what was called Leverite marriages where a brother would take on the marriage so that they could have a, a child, so they could take care of the daughter uh, in old age. And he kept putting her off and putting her off. And so finally she ch tricked him. She dressed up as a prostitute, tricked him into sleeping with her, and, which he did, giving into the lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and all that again. And so this is Judah. Man, he has a bad rap sheet so far. I mean, he's not doing good at all. But when it came time for Benjamin to be set free, he said, you know what, Dad? If they keep Benjamin, I will lay down my life for him. I'll be willing to take his place. I'll be willing to die in his place. And so there, Judah was a picture of Christ willing to die for his brothers to redeem them. And that decision, that decision of faith turned Judah's whole life around. From a bad dude to one that was redeemed by God to be used. He said, so Judah, you're a lion's cub. You're just young, but you've got a lot of potential. From the prey, my son, you have gone up and gone up mountains and that, uh, lions in that part of the world lived up in the mountains. So you've gone up, you've ascended the mountain, you're on top of the world right now. And he stooped down and he crouched as a lion and a lioness showing royalty. Man, who dares mess with you? You know, when you relax, you're just going to have peace from all your enemies. You're going to be able to sit down. You've already ascended. You've done everything. This prophecy was made in, in 1859 BC. And then about 1300 years later, 
1 Kings 4, this, you see this prophecy becomes true. He says, for he had, this is Solomon, had dominion over all the region of the west of Euphrates, from the Tifshah to Gaza, over all the kings west of Euphrates. He had peace on all sides around him. And here's Solomon, king from the line of Judah, and everything's just like he said. He's ascended, and there's peace everywhere around him. And every word that Jacob said came true. He said, the scepter, you know what kings hold, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff, meaning the one who makes the laws from between his feet, until tribute come. Now, some translations say, till Shiloh come, because Shiloh is the Hebrew word for tribute. So there's not a conflict here or contradiction here. It means a gift. And so we're not exactly sure what it means. Is, is the gift the person, therefore Shiloh, capital S? Or is the gift mean that the gifts that people will give to this ruler? We're not really exactly sure, but many translations, most translations translate it Shiloh as in the name of the Messiah. In other words, the line of Judah will reign as king until Jesus comes. And so to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The word peoples here means of the nations. And when will all the nations bow down before a king who's the line of Judah? In the kingdom, when Jesus Christ comes again and establishes the kingdom, he's saying, so kings will come from you until Jesus comes, the ultimate king. And so binding his foal to the foal, meaning a, a young donkey, and his donkey's uh, cat, colt to the choice vine. Now, if you've ever been around a vineyard, in fact, there's one right next door here, you wouldn't tie a horse up to one, one of those vines. They would just rip the vine. Unless that vine was super strong and well-established and had been growing there for 20 years, then the vine's like this thick. And you could tie a donkey to it. And a donkey's wild. They want to get loose. But he's saying, your vine, God is going to prosper you so much that your grapevines will be so thick, you could tie donkeys to them. So again, agricultural society, we, we can't appreciate the metaphor here, but this is what it's talking about. It's going to be a choice vine. And watch this. He has washed his garments in wine. Now, that's an important thought. We'll talk about that here. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. In fact, your vesture will be in the blood of grapes. You see where this is going, right? What do we take in communion when we take communion once a month? You know, we have grape juice, which is a symbol of what? The, the blood of Christ. So keep that metaphor in your mind. We will talk about that more in just a moment. Revelation chapter 19 and says, And then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, who is called faithful and true and righteousness, and he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is, who is this chapter talking about, Revelation 19? Who is this talking about? Jesus, right? Jesus is, has his clothes, is, uh, he is clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood. Whose blood is it? It's his own and a name which he is called, which is the Word of God. We'll talk about that, but this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. A lot of what I'm about to give you, you can find on a website called Got Questions. A lot of times you guys text me and say, ask a question, and all I do is open up my app and say, look at Got Questions, and sometimes I get the answer from there. Sometimes I know I'm top of my head, but this is a great, this is a great website. If, if you, you can download the app and all kinds of great Bible questions that, on there. So the tribe of Judah would later produce the line of kings, beginning with King David, and then much later, ending with Jesus Christ. Then he moves on to Zebulun. And he says, you will dwell by the shore of the sea. Now what's interesting about that, that didn't happen during the Bible. Well, does that mean it didn't come true? The answer is not yet. We'll see that the Bible prophesies that it will. So you, your border will be on Sidon. So this son would later be given the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. They're between, but they don't touch it yet. Zebulon also land extends to the sea in the future millennial kingdom. Ezekiel 48 says when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom here on earth, then this prophecy will be fulfilled then. So Jacob's prophecies are coming true. Some immediately, some within hundreds of years, as we saw the one in, in 560 uh, B.C., and then some will not happen until Christ returns. But they're all going to come true because God's word is true. Issachar, he says, hey, you're a strong donkey, but you found a really neat place to kind of rest between the sheepfolds. So you were strong. You got off to a good start. But then you saw this resting place and saw that it was good and that the land was pleasant. So you bowed your shoulder to bear. In other words, you just, you just quit working. The next thing you know, you end up being forced into slavery, being a forced servant. And so... 
let me go back to that for just a second. How many people, including me, get off to a really good start with something and then kind of coast? Hey, this was good. And next thing you know, things catch up with us. We're like, man, I wish I'd stayed working harder. Let me tell you something. Momentum is a real thing. When you start a new job, you've got momentum. You've got a window of time to make hay while the sun shines, as they say. And you've got to keep working hard, working hard. And whenever things get easy, don't slow down. Don't slow down for the Lord. Don't slow down on your family. Don't slow down your job. Keep working because you don't know what days are about to come. But this is what he, Zebulun did. He said, oh, I got it easy now. And next thing you know, he's worked in forced labor. Issachar, true to the prophecy, his, pro, his tribe later inherited rich farmland of the Valley of Jezreel, just like Jacob prophesied. In fact, this is what it looks like today. And does God's word come true? Absolutely. Jacob was a prophet and God gave him this, this, this vision of the future. So now we move on to Dan. He shall be a judge over his people. In fact, most of the judges, there's a whole book of the Bible called Judges. Most of them came from the tribe of, of, of Dan. And it says, Dan shall be a serpent, though, in the way. He'll be a viper in the path. Now, we don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. If it's talking about your enemies, then obviously it's good. You're kind of sneaky. You're kind of stealth. But I think it's talking about more than that. I think it's talking about being a serpent in the same way as Satan was, being conniving and being evil, because as you'll see, Scripture will back this up. He says, then, then Jacob, like right in the middle of his prophecy, just prays a prayer. I, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. In other words, he's thinking about all that Dan is going to do and how bad Dan is going to become, not just him personally, but his tribes. They're the ones that are going to lead the nation of Israel into idolatry, which was their biggest sin. They were cap carried into captivity not just once, but twice because of the sin of idolatry. Dan would become a judge in Israel. Samson's one of the greatest judges, that, that most powerful anyway, from this tribe. Dan was a troublesome tribe. They're the ones that introduced Israel to idolatry, Judges 18. Jeroboam set up one of his idolatrous golden calves in the tribe of Dan, 1 Kings 12. And later Dan became the center of idol worship, according to Amos chapter uh, 8. So you see all these things where Dan just gave into idolatry. And this always happened in the name of uh, tolerance. Well, we worship God, but you know we can't tell these other people they can't worship God, so let them in, let them in. And then, oh, well, you know, you need to have a variety. You need to worship Jehovah, but also worship Baal. You know, uh, Jehovah will bless your family. Baal will bless your farm. What's wrong with being, you know, eclectic in your religious beliefs? And one thing led to another, and the nation was brought down deep into the pits of despair. Move on to Gad. It says Raiders. You'll recognize the colors there, football fans. Raiders shall raid Gad, but you fight fire with fire. They're going to learn how to raid their heels. They, they learned how to be raiders from the people who raided them. And they were very strong. It became a very strong military presence. And this was fulfilled. First Chronicles tells us that Gad would be effective in military struggles. A great number of the troops who served King David were from Gad. They became warriors. Asher, his food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacies. Asher's tribe later inherited a very fertile land of Carmel. To this day, here's what Carmel looks like. Okay? Did these prophecies come true? Absolutely. And remember that when Israel moved into the promised land in 1948, it was mostly desert. They're the ones who turned it into this fertile place where they are one of the largest producers of produce on the planet. Naphtali, he is a doe that is that uh, let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Now this is a positive prophecy, and this one is one of, one of the most interesting ones. In Matthew 13, Jesus went up to live in Capernaum. This is where this was the headquarters of his ministry, and where was it located? In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, why is that important? Well, in Psalm 22, which is all about Jesus. And all about his suffering on the cross, it gives incredible detail from what Jesus would say on the cross to what they would say to him while he was on the cross. In Psalm 22, it says, they pierced my hands and my feet, that they gambled for my clothing. Incredible detail. And what is this psalm called? The doe of the dawn. Jesus did his ministry in Zebulon. Zebulon's called a doe. The prophecies about that. I think there's a big connection here. You know, my kids are always getting on to me about saying, Dad, who's my favorite child? Who's your favorite child? And I'll say, I equally dislike all of you. So yeah, uh, it, it's not a problem. I, and I just joke with them that, but you're not really supposed to have favorite kids. And they'll say, Dad, really, 
who's your favorite kid? Who's your favorite kid? And then I'll say who my favorite kid is, and they're like, I didn't know I was supposed to choose one of my own kids. So I named somebody else. I get on all kinds of trouble here. But Jacob's favorite, it's obvious. Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph at first, but then when he thought Joseph was dead, Benjamin became the new favorite. Now, you tell me, what did Joseph and Benjamin have in common? Same mom. And because she was the favorite wife, they were the favorite sons. And if I've said this once, I've said it a thousand times, but it's still true. Parents don't play favorites. Dislike them all the same. Okay, <laughs> No, just kidding. Um, I have nine, by the way, and, and I, do, I do love them all. Um, Joseph is a, here we go on to the blessing. Joseph is a fruitful bough, bough from a tree, a, fruit, a fruitful bough by a spring. Does that sound familiar? In Psalm 1, 3, talks about the blessed man who loves God's word. He shall be like a tree planted by what? Rivers of water, spring-fed spring tree. Okay, and he bears fruit. And it says that his branches shall run over the wall. So when you had an orchard, you build a wall around it. Why? To not only keep animals out, but to keep thieves out. But these trees are so abundant and prosperous, the branches go over the walls, so that it's feeding people inside the walls and outside the walls, which is showing a, a means of generosity. And so here, Joseph's saying, man, you got, you're going to excel so much, it's not going to be funny. He said, and then he goes into a metaphor here, because there's nothing in the Bible that says Joseph was ever shot at by archers. I think this is just talking about, just like we preachers will say, you know, someone hit a home run. We weren't really playing baseball. We were preaching. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him. He's talking about all that Joseph's been through. Your brothers physically abused you. They sold you into slavery. You were falsely accused. You read the, you interpret their dreams. They were forgotten about. Man, you have been shot at by archers over and over again, and yet your bow has remained unmoved. You are a solid rock. It doesn't matter all the bad things that happen to you. You stay faithful. I wish I could say the same. There's been times in my life where I wasn't as faithful as I should have been because life got hard. But Joseph, he's a picture of faithfulness, the one who's faithful and true. Because Joseph is also a picture of who? picture of Jesus. Jesus, even though you may be faith, unfaithful to him, he will always be faithful to you. It says his arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Look at all these metaphors about God. He's the mighty one, and he made you strong, Joseph. He's the one that gave you the strength to, to resist Potiphar's wife. He's the one that made you strong when you were in the dungeon to not complain. He's the one that gave you the wisdom to come up with a plan to feed all of the world when there was a severe famine. He's the one who guided you like a shepherd guides a sheep. He is the stone, and we talk about the cornerstone, right? He's the one that your life is built upon. And by the God of your Father who helped you, by the Almighty. He says that he will bless you. Now watch how many times it says blessings here. He says, Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and the womb, the blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. Blessings, blessings, and blessings. Now, in America, we think blessings means cars, houses, 401k, okay? But when the Bible says blessings, 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 it means God is working in your life through the good and through the bad. We want to say, oh, bad things are happening. I wish God would bless me. He is. <laughs> He's using these bad times to make you stronger, just like he did with Joseph. That's how he made his arm stronger. That's how he made his bow last long. He says, may then that be on the head of Joseph and the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. His brothers are the ones who cast him out but God's the one who ordained it. God set him apart for a special purpose to redeem the world. Then he moves on to his other favorite son. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. This one's actually a good thing. If you talk about hunting for food, like you'll provide for your family. In the morning, in his, in the morning of his life, in the early years, he'll devour the prey. In the later years of his life, the evening, he'll divide the spoil. In other words, all the other tribes of Israel would benefit by the productivity of Benjamin, that he'll be able to share, provide enough for everybody. The tribe of Benjamin will also be warriors like Gad, producing many of Israel's military leaders such as Ehud, Saul, Jonathan, the list goes on. And it's also for, uh, it's, they were known for their warring characteristics. You can read several places in the Bible where the tribe of Benjamin were the fighters. 
So the accuracy of these prophecies are astounding. Some of them came true right away. Some came true a few generations. Some, like the millennial one, will come true later. But 95% of them already come true. Do we have an amazing Bible or what? When people say, oh, the Bible's full of errors. I'm always like, show me one. And then they come up with these lame ones that are just, that looks like a contradiction. Like one of the most common ones I hear about is, oh, one of the gospels says that Judas hung himself. And another gospel says Judas, his guts were burst asunder on the rocks. Like, see, a contradiction in the Bible. I'm, no, if you go to where he hung himself, it was over a cliff. And he hung himself. And then either before he died or after he died, the rope broke and they found his body splattered on the rocks. Just go to where they, he did it. And you can see it for yourself. Is that a contradiction in the Bible? It is if you, that's what you want to see. You see, people come up to things and they say, oh, look, see a contradiction. And they're like, ha, now I have evidence to go do whatever I want to do. Now I can go live with my girlfriend or I can live an alternate lifestyle or I can do drugs or whatever. I've gotten rid of the Bible because I found this one contradiction. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Like I said, if you think there's a contradiction in the Bible, please text me. You'll see my cell phone. Let's have a conversation. The Word of God predicts the future with 100% accuracy. It can tell you what you need to know about Jesus. So all these 12 tribes of Israel, this is what their father said to them as he blessed them. And again, blessing means pronouncing their future on them. It wasn't always a good thing. And they, and it, they did what whatever suitable or what God had told them about each one. The number 12 in the Bible is pretty fascinating. You can take numerology way too far, and some people do. But let's just look at some of the obvious things about the number 12. It's always associated with government and administration in God's eyes. For example, 12 princes of Ishmael. Remember his other, uh, the other son? Uh, and then the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. There's 12 pil pillars on Moses' altar. There's 12 stones on the high priest's breastplate. There's 12 silver platters, silver bowls, and 12 gold pans for the service of the tabernacle. There's 12 spies that went to search out the promised land. There's 12 cakes of showbread. 12 memorial stones, 12 governors under Solomon, 12 stones under Elijah's altar, 12 in each group of musicians and singers for Israel's worship, 12 hours of night, 12 hours of day, roughly speaking, depending on what time of year, but that's the ideal, 12 months in a year. Jesus was how old when he began to teach? 12. 12 Ephesian men were filled with the Holy Spirit, and I could go on and on and on. I could talk to you about the number 12, like Sesame Street, for like an hour right now, okay? This message is brought to you by the letter A and the number 12. 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. This is to happen in the future. When, when there will be great revival take place in Israel, 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000 will spread the gospel throughout the whole world. The New Jerusalem, which we're looking forward to, that will send from heaven, it has 12 gates, all made out of pearl and guarded by an angel. The walls of the New Jerusalem are 144 cubits. For those of you who know your math, that's 12 times 12 with the city itself being 12,000 furlongs. It's amazing, the number 12 all over the Bible. The tree of life in heaven has 12 kinds of fruit, bearing its, the fruit throughout the year, the 12 months. So now let's move on to the end here. Jacob's burial plans and his death. There is a chiastic structure here. Jacob is forming a poem here when he, with his last words. He talks about commanding them to gather him to his people when he dies, and then afterwards he did die and they, he was gathered to his people. And then he talks about the cave of the Hittites. And then he, he ends his story with the cave of the Hittites. And as he builds this sandwich, he talks about the field. And then towards the end, he does the field. And what's in the middle? What's the meat of the sandwich? They buried Abraham and Sarah. They buried Isaac and Rebekah. And then me and Leah. Three couples, three patriarchs. And he's saying, this is the most important part. I must be with my people. This is where my grandfather was buried. This is where my father was buried. This is where I want to be buried. And what this is a picture of, as we learned last week, and you can go online and listen to that, this is a picture of the resurrection, that God is going to reunite body and spirit together, and we will live in a glorified body for all eternity. Think about this. Every other religion in the world is about escaping this body. There's going to be a spirit somewhere. In Buddhism, it's like a drop returning into the ocean. And your identity just kind of disappears. Your identity is an amazing creation that's going to last for all eternity. We are going to know one another for all eternity and get to know each other better for all eternity. But in other religions, you just kind of disappear into this oneness of the universe. 
kind of like the force and Obi-Wan Kenobi and all that stuff like that. And they lose their bodies. No, think about your body and what you like about it. Think about what you don't like about it. All that you don't like about it will be gone. All that you like about it will be amazing. And you'll be a glorified body. True Christianity teaches that this is important. But notice something else in the center of this. Jacob says, I'm going to be buried with who? Leah. Who was his favorite? Rachel. But he says, I'm going to be buried with Leah. Now, he did have burial plans for Rachel, but she's already dead. But he's not only prophesying the future, he's accepting what God's original plan should have been. When he was tricked into taking Leah instead of Rachel, he should have just stopped there and said, you know, I need to be monogamous. I'm sorry I was tricked into this. I've already consummated the wedding. I'm going to keep our culture's customs. And he should have just accepted that. But he kept trying to add and add and add. And did that make things better or worse? It just, it just made things worse. So I think here in his last days, he's accepting the providence of God. So let's go back to the scepter, the tribe of Judah. Judah, who really messed up royally in so many ways. And now he's getting, if you read this whole chapter, you will see a chunk, a big chunk about Judah and a big chunk about Joseph. Joseph, who is a picture of Jesus. Judah, who would be the lion of Judah, a, a picture of the lion where Jesus would come from. That You see Jesus in this whole story here. And he's saying that the scepter, the, the right to rule and reign, will not depart from Judah. Your tribe will rule and reign, and you'll be the lawmakers, the ruler's staff between his feet, until tribute or Shiloh come, which is a picture of the Messiah, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. It says that binding full, and it says it's washed his garments in wine, the vesture and the blood of grapes. In Revelation 19, we'll read it again. The one who is faithful and true, Jesus returns on a white horse to conquer the armies of the world. His eyes are like a flame of what? Fire. You see, when you looked in the baby Jesus' eyes, you saw tenderness. When you looked in Jesus' eyes, the one who had compassion on the adulterous woman, the woman at the well, the blind, the leper, compassion, compassion. He came the first time as a suffering savior, as a lamb. He's coming the second time as a conquering king, the lion of Judah, and his eyes will be on fire. People don't like to read about this Jesus. They want the mushy, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. This Jesus says, the first time I came, love and compassion to die for your sins. But if you reject me, I am coming again and with, to rule the world with a rod of iron. His eyes will be lit up like fire. His head are many diadems. In other words, he's taking crowns from everybody in the world and said, you're not in charge anymore, and you're not in charge, and Putin, you're not in charge, and Xi, you're not in charge, and Biden, you're not in charge, and Trump, you're not in charge. Give me all those crowns. They're all mine now. I'm in charge. And he will set up his kingdom on, on earth. And, he has, and it goes on to say, and then I saw the heavens open, behold, on a white horse, which is the sign of a conquering king, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and righteous, and he judges, he judges, and he makes war. The prince of peace will now be the conquering king who makes war with the planet earth, and this war won't last long. It's over. It's that fast. Just like when he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. It was over in the flash of light. He says, his eyes are like flame. And then it goes on to say, his robe is dipped in blood. Think about this. He's on a white horse. He's wearing a white robe. His eyes are lit like fire. But all over his white robe is blood. Think about this. He's coming to conquer. And he's like, hey, remember, remember you killing me? Remember you crucified me? This could have been your forgiveness. And now it's your judgment. I don't enjoy preaching this kind of stuff. Okay, But this is what my Bible says. The Bible says, accept him now as Lord and Savior. And he will be the best friend you've ever had. Reject his love and his mercy on the cross, and he'll be the worst judge you've ever experienced. In fact, your judgment will be hell. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, that's kind of mean to talk like that. That's hate speech. For every one time Jesus talked about heaven, he talked five times about hell. Why? Because he doesn't want you to go there. He wants you to accept his mercy now while you can. Revelations also says Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the one who was resurrected, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his what? His blood. He shed his blood on the cross to forgive and to wash away all your sins. Do you know him? Romans 10 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, say, Christ, I give my life to you. 
You will be the Lord. You'll be the boss. You'll be the king of my life. And I, because I believe in my heart that you died, you were buried, and that God rose you from the dead, this verse says that you will be saved. The judgment, the hell, the punishment, all of that taken away and just enter into the arms of your Savior. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning with me? If you don't know Christ, you can trust him right now, right here. You don't have to fill out a card. You don't have to shake my hand. You don't have to raise a hand. You just have to simply in your heart right now, just you could pray a prayer like this. The prayer doesn't save you. Just from your own heart, these words, something like this. Father, I know I'm a sinner. The guilt haunts me. I know what I've done wrong. I'm thankful that Jesus took all my sins upon him, on his body, on that cross. And so right now I make him the Lord of my life the Savior of my soul. Thank you for forgiving all my sins. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your people who love your word. I pray that even the hard truth that we've heard this morning would plant seeds in our heart to bring forth a great fruitful harvest. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about how to become a Christian, if you maybe you're not there yet, you have more questions than you do have answers, text me, call me, I'll buy you a cup of coffee, buy you lunch. We'll talk about Jesus and we'll get your questions answered. Speaking of that, um, let's do question and answer right now. Um, Sophia, would you like to help me with that? Okay, thank you. You can text in your questions right there. There's a number. If you'd rather um, raise your hand, you can do that as well. All right, there's our first one. And I think before I forget, there's some below it from last week. If you, if you sent one last week and it didn't get answered last week, you can resend it today. That'd be easier for us and scroll down to the bottom. All right, go ahead. Uh, in Romans 10, 9, what is the significance of confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? If we believe in our hearts but don't confess with our mouth, are we not saved? Who do we need to confess to and when? How often? How does this compare to publicly sharing our faith in baptism? Man, great question. <clears throat> great, several questions there. Okay, so the key to this is Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you truly believe in your heart, in the gospel, that he died for you, was buried and rose again, it will come out of your mouth. Okay, now think about, this makes me think about like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. The Bible said they were secret disciples. But after so long, they couldn't keep it anymore. Eventually it came out. Now, if it didn't come out, does that mean they weren't saved? No, it just means that you will eventually speak up, okay? And Jesus also said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. But if you profess before men, I'll profess you before my father. So public profession is a natural fruit of the root. It's not two steps to salvation, believe and confess. It's if you truly believe, you will confess. It's a natural byproduct of it. And the best way, as they mentioned there, of publicly professing your faith is baptism. It's a public demonstration of, I believe Jesus died for me, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And that's your public profession. But we know that baptism uh, doesn't save. And speaking of that, on, usually the last Sunday of every month is when we do baptism. So if you'd like to be baptized next week, let's have a conversation and we can get that taken care of. All right? No new ones came in. Do you want me to? Let me, let me look at some real quick. Um, oh, here we go. There's one. <laughs> As we speak. If a mother sins, is it passed down to the children or only the father? If a mother sins, I, I think this is a reference back to what I was saying earlier. So the sin nature is inherited from the father, but a mother's sin, uh, and then I think maybe also this may reference like generational curses, that which there's things that could be tendencies in your family. For example, in my family, you won't be surprised, alcoholism runs rampant. That's why I'm like a total abstainer because I'm afraid to even touch the stuff because I, uh, five of my six aunts and uncles died from alcohol-related deaths, okay? So I don't want to go near this stuff. So you can see that runs in there. But people get all hung up on these generational curses as if like, you're helpless. Read the same passages that talk about, the two passages in the Old Testament talk about generational curses. It just says all you have to do is repent and the curse is done. And so all you have to do is you just stop it. So don't say, I can't help myself because my father was a liar, my grandfather was a liar. No, you have a, you have a choice in the matter for sure. All right, what else? Um, there are no new ones still. Um, All right, cool. Anybody have one that want to raise your hand on? I think there's one that Stacy had, or was that it? The Judas one's a big one. There's also one that, um, like for example, how many people went down to Egypt? One, 
will, the Old Testament will say 70, and the New Testament says 75. But in, in the book of Acts, when it says 75, he was quoting from the Septuagint, which counted the grandchildren. So there's no contradiction. One was counting to 70, not counting grandchildren, and one was counting 75, 70 with the grandchildren. So again, no contradiction. Just, most of these, if you just dug like five minutes deeper, you know, just Google somebody who's not a hateful atheist and find out what they have to say and not, not just read that. Just read that one for me if you could. Yeah, one more. Um, when David ran to slay Goliath, he had five smooth stones. He would never have the time for a second shot. Why did he have four more than he needed? I bet somebody else knows this one. Who knows the answer to this question? Well, Rob, Rob, Rob yeah, I knew you. I, I even told you I, you knew it. Um, I'm going to let... Um, no, no, Rob knows. I know. Let's see. Go ahead and answer, Manuel. Goliath had four brothers. So he was, he was confident he was going to take Goliath out. He was prepared for the other four brothers in case they came down too, but they ran like little girls. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> Sex is very confident. All right, let's stand and let's sing.